Good morning. Happy year is what I would say. Well, the true Christians made it to church today, didn't they? Yeah. Always love to see who they are. We're so holy, aren't we? We're just so holy. Glad you're here. I hope you had a great Christmas. And uh, now, I, you know, I, I am one. I like the turning of the page of the calendar. I, I, I need that myself. And so I'll spend New Year's Day kind of thinking about 18 and, and some goals I have and, and how I want to reshape some things and all that sort of thing. And there is benefit to that, I think. And you may not need that, but I do. And I, I appreciate uh, getting this point, this point when, when Diane and I uh, went to bed last night. I said to her, aren't you glad it's 2018? I, I can remember thinking years ago, it seemed like an eternity away at 2018. And I... I just am so thankful to see a new year, and I hope you are as well. It spurs us on to better things, and I want us all to be spurred on to better things, and that's why I want to deal with today. You know, my worst subject in school was math. I'm just not a math guy. If my, if my, if my account balances within $100 of the bank, that's good enough for me. I'm that kind of guy, you know. I, I just wasn't good at math. And if I'm talking to you in conversation and I find out you're a banker or a, a financial planner or a CPA, uh, a glaze will come over my eyes at that point, and there'll probably be a breakdown in communication. I, 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 want, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to approach this message like that today because, because I, think, I think God looks at us today and he sees all kinds of potential. He sees all kinds of possibilities. He sees who we can become, who we are becoming. And I love that so much about God, is that he always has something better for us. Now, no matter how great a mathematician you uh, claim to be, you can't bypass the, the basics, right? We all have to have the basics. So let's just play a little quiz, and we'll see how well you do, and we'll, um, we'll do it like this. So I'll just hold up these flashcards, and we'll play that half against that half. So I, it's all up to me who I hear get it right, okay? That's it. So here's the first one. Call it out. Right here. High school kids win. Okay. All right. The second one. Here we go. Oh, sheesh. Okay, here we go. 197, I think I heard it over here first, although you were louder, okay? Okay, all right, all right. Sheesh! You hate math too, don't you? 849, 849. The loudmouth woman got it over there. Okay. Mrs. Kender. All right, all right. And here's the last one. 210, 210, over here. All right. I think this, this, this leans toward this side, although you're pretty crummy, most of you, in it anyway. All right. You can't bypass, no matter how brilliant becoming in mathematics, you can't skip the basics, right? If you don't get the basics, you can't go anywhere else. So I called this message, it's a lame title, I hate titles of sermons, A New Math for a New Year. And I mean new, not in type, but new in freshness. It's this message about going back to the basics, because I think most of the Christian life is all about the basics. It's about learning the basics well, and it's about fleshing them out well in our lives. So here we go. The first one is, is subtraction. 
I get that from Hebrews 12 that says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, in six weeks or so, we're going to start enjoying the Olympics, and we're going to watch speed skating. And uh, we'll see those skaters line up, and uh, we know there's going to be a report on how much better the skates are, how their design has changed, how the apparel they're wearing is a little bit different. It might shave off one hundredth of a second in speed or whatever. It's all a science and art to all that. Now, if we saw a, a skater line up and he had on a ski parka and ski boots, well, it wouldn't happen for one thing. And we know there was no way that, 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 that he could win that race. Now, I know this is mixed metaphors. This is the only mixed metaphor in this message. But Paul, the writer of Hebrews, if it's Paul or Barnabas or somebody else, loves this imagery of running a race. It fits as well. But what I want to point you to is that he says we've got to get rid of anything that hinders. Now, we know when we are born again in Christ, when we come out of that baptismal pool We are cleansed from sin by virtue of the blood of Jesus that's been applied. We put our faith, our confidence, and the blood poured out for us on the cross, and we're cleansed. Nevertheless, in our faith journey, there are these entanglements. And I love here that the writer uses the definite article, the. Get rid of the sin that often entangles, easily entangles us. Now, most of us, if we're going to be honest self-evaluators and reflect well, there is a certain sin that tends to trip us up. Do you know even what that sin is? What what is the temptation that the evil one one works on more than other, other aspects of your life to take you down? He says here, throw off everything that hinders the sin, the sin that easily entangles. And so whatever, it, you know, lust, if they, if, you're not, if they don't take care of that, that temptation, of course, it can lead to all levels and kinds of addiction or flushing that out. If it's gossip, it leads to all kinds of breakdown in relationships. If it's greed, it leads more to a deeper materialism and stinginess and a lack of generosity in every aspect of the believer's life. And we can go on and on and on how that works. Sin always takes us farther away than we ever intended to go. It keeps us in places we never... In- intended to stay, and it causes us to pay a price we never intended to pay. That's what sin is. That's what sin does. Praise God, John writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's be a praying people, and let's be a people that are willing to, be, to, to continually live out self-reflection, and confess those sins that easily entangle us and take us down. Second addition, Second Peter 1 says, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think Peter could have listed a number of of indications of a fruitful life in this passage. But for some reason, these are the ones that he, he chose for this particular letter to those particular people who are enduring all levels of persecution and, and, and going through all levels of difficulty. It's terrible to live in the past. And many people do. There was a man who knew his wife's 40th birthday was coming and he asked, what do you want? And she goes, I want to be six again. And he was so excited, so he took her through the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru, got her a donut with sprinkles and white milk. And then he took her to King's Island. They rode every ride. He bought her every junk food that he knew she liked. He brought her back home, and they went to a Disney movie, bought her a bucket of buttered popcorn, a large Coke. She was pretty woozy by the time they got home. And she, he said, honey, what was it like being six again? And she said, when I said six, I mean meant dress size. Do you ever look at the back, the back of your life with regrets? Do you ever look back, and, and, and even in 2017, can you look back at any conversations you wish you hadn't had, or a conversation you wish you had handled differently, or any reaction in your life that wasn't a godly reaction? Do you look back and see all the opportunities you, you could, should have taken advantage of and you missed those opportunities? You know, we all can look back and have regrets. This is one of the things I love about walking with Jesus Christ and what he cares about most is today and who you and I want to be by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. You, you, 12 hours ago, last night, you may have really blown it as a disciple. But you are here in the assembly this morning, and what God cares about today is who you're going to be from now on by his grace and his mercy. Second Peter 3.18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's what we need to know about growing in grace. First of all, growing in grace is possible. Don't anybody here think that you are stuck and that it's not possible for you to grow. I think there are people who get to that place, they get so discouraged, and they succumb to the lies of the evil one that in you, you are past any, any possible hope or help. You know, Proverbs writer says that uh, a nagging wife is like a drippy faucet. And we preachers feel that way sometimes too because we're always hounding on the same matters. But it's because of, of God's, God's desire for us and what he has for us and wants for us. He wants us to grow and it's possible to grow. Growth and grace is also necessary. It's not optional if you're a follower, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. The, the text tells us that failing to grow in these ways means we're ineffective and unproductive. And who here is here expecting to be unproductive in your Christian life and is satisfied with being ineffective? We're not here for that reason. Therefore, growing in grace is necessary and we have to align ourselves with the Spirit of God in the right way so that He can do His work in us. Growth in grace is also gradual. And we Americans in the West have a terrible time with this because if you're like me, I'm impatient with the microwave. They need to make a faster one, you know. We want things quickly. When I've driven across Europe, I'm so, uh, I, I'm so taken by the history of Europe. 
and the castles. And then I come here and see how we build to tear down. You know, the RCA dome was built in 84. It was imploded and the end of 08, nine years it's been gone and the city of Indianapolis is still paying for it. Now, Lucas Oil is going to be gone in the next 20 or 25 years. And another arena will be built. I mean, that, that's how it works. We, we build to tear down. And, and in discipleship, one of the problems with us all is, is we try to do discipleship based on these mountaintop episodes in our lives to carry us. And friends, that's not going to happen most of the time. If you get an occasional mountaintop in your life, praise God for them, but don't depend upon them. Most I have a book written by Eugene Peterson. I love the book. It's, it's based on some of the Psalms, and it's called a long, uh, a long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I think that's a great definition of discipleship. It's a day-by-day -day kind of life, lots of valleys, a few mountaintops, but it's a decision every day that I'm going to keep obeying no matter what, a long obedience. Are you in for that? Are you in for the long haul? That's a long obedience in the same direction. It's, it's a gradual thing we have to deal with. It's also, growth is also organic. Now, I could, I could illustrate all this, the difference. Here, here's one style of growth, and this is the, one of the problems with the American church. Let's say the American church looks like this pile of rocks. There's a lot of stuff. And so what we as church leaders have been guilty of doing at times and places and ways is just guilting you into adding more rocks to your pile. That is making you busier. And we have confused church busyness with growth and maturity, and nothing could be further from the truth. It could be your church busyness that is keeping you from being a productive and effective disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, there are certain ingredients that need to be there. You need to serve effectively. You need to have, use your gifts to build the body of Christ. You need to be reaching people around us and, and your community, whatever your world looks like. You, know, you need to be in community with a group of people and the word. You need to be in worship. If you're not doing those things on a regular basis, there is something lacking in your spiritual growth potential. So it could be that some of you are serving in five ways, and it's two ways more than you should be serving. And the way you're not, the reason you're not more productive is you're too busy. There's no time for reflection. There's no time to meditate on the word. There's no time for prayer. And the only prayer you have is on your way to work when you're, you know, you have all things going around you, you're, you're a multitasker in prayer. Friends, that is not healthy prayer. And so you and I have to figure this out. The church has been guilty. We're trying to do better to lighten the church calendar so that people have the freedom for relationship building and for organic, organic growth, growth means transformation from the heart level then that spills out into a fruitful life. And so take inventory. What is it that needs to go? What is it needs to be incorporated for healthy growth? got to figure it out. Growth is also then observable. It ought to be something that, that is measurable in your life that you can recognize, that, that your spouse, your children, your parents can recognize in you definite changes over time 
because of what is happening by the power of the Holy Spirit within. We don't make the, even though it says add to your, add to your, it's the work of the Holy Spirit within us that makes these things happen. Third division. This is, uh, this is what the text says in Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, metaphors have their limitations, and this is the limitation of mine because division is something we do not want to practice. We want nothing to do with division We practice this math in lots of areas in life, but we cannot and dare not practice it in the arena of relationships. Before Christ went to the cross, this was his earnest prayer that we would be one as as he and the Father are one. And why division at any level is ungodly and anti-scriptural and all the rest is because it violates the very nature and character of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are one. And when we allow division to happen, when we cause division, when we feed division, we are striking at the very Trinity. And we must not have anything to do with it. God alone creates unity. He creates it at all levels. In in marriage, in family relationships, in communities, in the nation all ears. He's the master creator of unity. It's not the same as unison. When, 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 our, when our worship team is up here, they sing in different parts sometimes. And, you know, that's beautiful harmony creates, but they all are in agreement with the chord that is being sounded or with the, the rules of mus- musicianship. There are standards for that. And same is true in the body of Christ. He creates unity. Satan hates unity. He loves to destroy unity. He loves division. Uh, He loves to drive in wedges. We have to recognize it, and we have to do our best to keep from any wedges being driven in our marriages, our homes, our communities, between races, and our nation at whatever level. In the last 17 years, our nation has had to become familiar with terrorists and terrorism in the world. And terrorists come into our society, into any culture, and they will be faceless and nameless, and they, they, they work in ways that are uh, indis- where they indiscriminate, and they do their, their dastardly deeds in taking out life. Satan does the same thing through people. What did he do at the garden? When he tempted the, the first human beings, what did he do? He got, he got Eve away from Adam. He got her in isolation and tempted her, and she went down, and then Adam went down. This is why the community of faith is so terribly critical in a discipleship process. But Peter elsewhere says that Satan is like a roaring lion. What do roaring lions do? They get the sheep away from the flock. They get the cattle away from the herd. To do their attack. They prey on the weakest and they devour. That's why it's not just a simple thing if you float in and out of the assembly at will. If you're not totally into your life group, it will be played out in your life as an unhealthy thing. If you are lackadaisical in your worship commitment, Satan knows that. He's a great student of human nature. And if he can somehow get you away from the body to devour you, he'll try to do it. He'll try to do it. You know, you can't be in community and not have a hurt feeling. 
You cannot be in community and not, been over, not be overlooked sometime. You know, there is pain in relationships. But the joy of the relationships outnumber and outweigh the, 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 the hardship or the vulnerability and sometimes the pain that comes from relationships too. Just know that's a part of human relationships, right? Which foot, foot family here has a no pain in your relationship? Of course you do. But you stay together because of this, for the sake of unity. There, there's, there is greater joy in staying together and being one, even if, it, if it's painful and it costs you something, right? And so we keep, that's how the body of Christ ought to be. We don't want, we don't want the evil one to devour any one of us or collectively do his destructive work. Our responsibility is to maintain unity that God creates. How do we do that? Well, the passage gives us one word. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So it's an attitude about our own selves. It's a humble attitude about our opinions and our ideas and what we can offer. We have to view other people as more important than ourselves. Paul writes in Philippians 2, we are gentle in our relationships, you know. We, we bear with each other. That means sometimes we don't like each other. We don't agree with each other. We have different ideas. But we're not going to let those differences tear us down. We're going to use that to somehow those differences to build us and make us better. It's part of the answer. It's not all the answer, but it's part of the answer, how we view one another in love. And finally, multiplication. And you know the account well where Jesus meets the sinful woman at the, at the well, at Jacob's well, outside the village of Sychar in Samaria. The disciples were surprised that Jesus was engaging in conversation with a woman like this, that he has really rocked her world. And this is what our text says. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why, why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. We are called, we are expected, we are empowered to multiply ourselves in other people by engaging them, by loving them, by serving them. You know, when something, when you're excited about something, you, you tell people, right? I mean, isn't that a natural result of life? I mean, I bought gifts from my wife with Groupons. Anybody you do that? Okay, I'm cheap. I've just revealed myself and how cheap I am. Uh, but, you know, I tell people about Groupons. You want to go to the movie? You want to go out to eat? Check Groupon first. Great deals, right? Uh, you know, I, love to, I eat chocolate every day of my life. I think I'll go to heaven because of it. You know, that's how important I think it is. Best chocolate in town is Aldi. Aldi chocolate is best chocolate in town. I love telling people about that. It is so good. Now, when, when Jesus is speaking into your life, and he's enriching you, he just automatically comes out. He just does. Uh, not in an artificial way, not in a forced way, not in a Bible-thumping way, not in a condescending way, not in a judgmental way, 
We just engage people in spiritual conversations. That's what happens. That's what happens when Jesus means so much to us. So I want to challenge you to deepen the present relationships you have. Deepen your present relationships. What are they? And let me challenge you with the word, uh, and it was coined a number of years ago, friendships. What are your friendships? Friends, relatives, acquaintances, and neighbors. Who do you have in those areas of your life? Friends, acquaintances, friends, relatives, acquaintances, and neighbors. Who are your friendships that you can impact for the kingdom of God? You know, sometimes we just have to be renewed in them and learn, learn a different level of hospitality. Opening our homes just for a game night. What happened? You have people for games and just start developing places to converse about what the Lord is doing and His goodness. And, or they watch your home, what you live in, and where you have certain books you're reading laying around or different sayings, something to let them know you are of a different, you're of a different people. But you're actually a normal person. It's a real person. And they watch how you live and do life. And second, cultivate new relationships. Who's in your direct line of vision that you haven't seen from an eternal perspective? Or who's in your peripheral vision? Those in the peripheral vision are the ones, I mean, that are in everybody's peripheral vision. In other words, the ones who are the marginalized of our society. The ones that are typically overlooked all around us. The people are everywhere. Who are these people? You know, the, 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 the 2018 provides us with great new opportunities. Mr. Edwards was my sophomore math teacher. I was struggling. I stayed after school, didn't take the bus to go to him for help. And you know what he said to me? Well, some people get it, some people don't. That's it. And I walked out thinking, what a lousy math teacher. You know, I'm so thankful I don't have to say to you, you know, if you're a disciple, some get it, some don't. I'm not satisfied with that. God isn't satisfied with that. And I hope you won't be satisfied with that. Everybody has the potential of being deeper in love with Jesus Christ and a stronger disciple of his. Will you be that person in 2018? Will you make 2018 the best year of your life in Jesus Christ? If you are not in Jesus Christ, if you've not been born again, you're missing on God's best for you. The Bible says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He will welcome you into his forever family. Let us walk with you toward the greatest decision of your life. Now let's stand together and worship him.